Leonard Lopate at large, I'm Leonard Lopate. Mayor Bill de Blasio has announced his intention to fully reopen New York City for business by July 1st, and, and that includes a complete reopening of the city's public school system in September with no remote options for students to attend classes exclusively online. It's raising a lot of questions, especially for parents, so we've invited industrial hygienist Monona Russell back to our show to help answer them. She's the president and founder of Arts, Crafts, and Theater Safety. She's the health and safety officer for local 829 of IATSE, which is the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, and the author of Pick Your Poison, How Our Mad Dash to Chemical Utopia is Making Lab Rats of Us All. It's published by Wiley. If you have any a question for Monona, we can take your calls. The number 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Or you can email your questions to me at leonardlopate at wbai.org. And we'd especially like to hear from parents of school-aged children. Hi, Monona. Welcome back. Well, hello. How's it going? <laughs> Okay, but what about you? Have you fully recovered from your own bout of COVID-19 or are there still some lingering effects? Well, yeah, I guess there are. Um, I'm, I'm doctoring now. <laughs> I'm oh. seeing a neurologist. I have some kind of neurological problem that started uh, just post-COVID. So it may be that I have something or it could be something that it cropped up uh, on its own and it just happened to coincide. But I'll, I'll know more as, as the tests proceed. So let's get to the reopening. What does fully reopening the city by July 1st mean in practical terms? Does it mean removing restrictions on capacity for retail stores, restaurants, bars, theaters, sporting events, et cetera? You know, it means what they say it is. And, uh. and when you read their announcements, there's enough qualifiers in there, like most activities and uh, uh, and it's up to the employer or it's up to the store. There's so many qualifiers there that it'll probably just have to shake out once they get started. I think the most important thing for ordinary walking around people like us should know is that when we reach 70 uh, percent vaccinated or when suddenly it goes from June 31st to July 1st, no, nothing magical has happened. Um, there is still a risk, and there's a risk that it's just about the same as it was the day before. Uh, it's just that politically we have decided that now for most people, the risk is worth it uh, to go out there. And, and, and in a sense, they're making that decision for us, which is sad for some of us, better for others. Um, so it's not it's not that. Uh, it's not that the bug is going to suddenly quit on those dates. No, I don't think the bug has seen the memo yet that we've decided mm -hmm. that it's over on that day. Um, so I figure we, we really need to look at our own risk factors and whether or not we want to take that risk because uh, the, it's, it's still there. Well, Donald Trump declared it over any number of times uh, during his last year in office. So, uh, and he said that by election date, the only people who'll be talking about it were Democrats who were trying to get votes. But um, it, does, it doesn't look like we're going to hit the 70 mark anyway, because uh, vaccination rates have slowed down. So what does it all mean? Uh, are, are we going to 
put an end to mask and social distancing mandates? Will we no longer have to stand on those little round dots six feet, feet apart while we wait online? Yeah, well, you know, those things did help, but um, they're not as crucial, for instance, as ventilation and, and vaccination and testing. Um, it, it took a, a long time for the CDC to wake up to, to what, what really works and what doesn't work. Uh, they, they, their last pronouncement on May 5, when the pandemic, pandemic is damn near over, is they finally recognize that it's the tiny particle and that ventilation is important. Fortunately, most of us understood right from the beginning that, that these things were important. The, the distancing helps, but all the studies that the distancing and the staying six feet apart um, that, that was based on the idea that they're great big gobsmacking droplets that are coming out of people rather than the little fine aerosol that stays air, air, airborne. Um, and and, the, and the, the studies were in still air. I think it's important to know that nobody's listening to this program who's ever been in still air. <laughs> it's always moving. And, you know, as soon as you walk into the room, your own currents have disturbed things. <laughs> so it really, it was all kind of like smoke and mirrors, but sometimes adding up everything together did reduce exposure. Um, but it was always, it was always a crapshoot. Is there any provision for keeping track of, of where infection rates are and oh, yeah. putting those restrictions back if, if rates seem to be going back up? Yeah, that, that's pretty easy. You can even do you go, go on Google and find uh, New York by county or New York by city, or you can go and find what's going on in Alabama. You can, so wherever you're going, you can look at the latest numbers. Um, you know, they're probably not totally accurate, but they're pretty, the, the death ones are pretty, I mean, it's kind of evident when somebody's dead and when they're alive. So <laughs> you can pretty much trust the dead uh, statistics uh, and the hospitalizations, because those are, those are pretty clear cut. You're either in the hospital or you're not. Um, How is the New York metropolitan area doing compared uh, to Alabama, let's say? Okay, well, New York City, I, I looked up, let me see what it said in the, uh, on, um, on the uh, June 6th, two days ago, there, there were nine deaths uh, in New York City, and on June 7th, there were eight. Um, that doesn't mean it's going to be um, um, seven tomorrow and six the next day. <laughs> it just means that, you know, it's not gone. There are people who are dying right now. But not in the thousands as there were in the past. Right. And so so now it, the, the risk is less. But to think it's zero is, of course, really kind of foolish. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, after the war is over, um, getting shot by some member of the enemy that didn't know that that had happened. Uh, it would be really kind of sad to be taken out at this point. So. My, my basic idea is, you know, don't, don't get overconfident here. Just, just remember that the person you're talking to, if you don't know that person or don't know where they've been, just really could be giving it to you. And, and we do know that even when you're vaccinated, you, you can become positive. And not many have symptoms. Some do. 
And then there's the whole matter of whether we'll ever achieve herd immunity. Do you think that'll ever happen? Well, you Especially with all these new variants that are popping up? You know, it, it, it's possible. It really is possible. But you'd have, that, that takes the world. So that is not happening anytime soon. Um, because as soon as somebody gets off the plane from someplace that doesn't have a, a good vaccination policy, uh, you're right back where you started, at least for the people who meet that person. So um, it, it's the risk is always going to be there. And the only risks of any pandemic that is like totally over is uh, for smallpox, because we really did eradicate it. Um, we had an opportunity to eradicate polio, and we literally chose not to. Um, that, that's a really sad story, because we could have eliminated that one as well. Uh, so it's just totally the amount of vaccinations we do, the vigilance with which we go after a particular disease and so on. And I don't see any will to go after this one. So smallpox has been completely eradicated around the world? Yeah, the only place it exists as DNA is in laboratories, which is, of course, pretty scary. In Wuhan, I assume, according to some conspiracy theorists. Well, we um, don't know what, they, what they're holding. <laughs> but we've got it, and that's scary enough. Now, there are now three vaccines that are available in the United States, others in other parts of the world. Ours are Pfizer, Moderna, Moderna and Johnson & Johnson. Uh, are they all considered about equally safe and effective? Yeah, they can quibble a, a percent or two here and there, and it, they have slight differences in what they do. And one of them showed some anaphylaxis and another one didn't. I mean, it, but they're all such minor, minor differences that you can sort of just lump them all together as pretty, pretty much equal. So take uh, whatever's available. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we got ours, you know, because we're housebound, because my husband is, is still on oxygen. Um, this has been a long, long, long haul for us. And uh, so the city sends uh, nurses up to people who are housebound and, and, and gives them their shot, which is a really wonderful thing, because there's no way I can carry a, a heavy D tank down five flights of stairs and back up. So we can't get him anywhere at this point. My guest on today's Leonard Lopate at Large here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org, is Monona Russell, who's a regular contributor to our show. And when she's here, we take calls. Our number is 212-209-2877, or you can write to me, email me at leonardlopate at wbai.org. Um, you, in your work with unions and other labor groups, do you still find some people are hesitant to get the vaccine? Oh, it's really, really, really rare. Um, but we do see it on occasion. So, yeah. But we're, What do you tell them? Hmm? What do you tell them? <laughs> well... Yeah, well, it depends on how well I know them. <laughs> if I really am being honest and I know them well, I'm just going to tell them, you know, don't be a schmuck. <laughs> Get it. Ooh. 
because, you know, uh, it, it, there's a lot of reasons to do that. You see, it's not a personal decision. You know, people keep saying, well, it's my personal decision. Yeah, it's your personal decision and somebody else's bloody demise. Um, it is not you alone with either one going either way. If, if, for example, since I deal with the film industry, we, we know that we've got a crew and there's a person who doesn't want to get vaccinated. And let's assume this is a really pretty good reason. Let's assume that she has literally almost died of anaphylaxis twice. And in both cases, she didn't know what, that she was allergic to that substance until the attack. Uh, so she's terrified of taking a vaccine that could also give her anaphylaxis. And so she has decided since she's young and strong that the risk of COVID is really very slim for her. And so she is not going to get vaccinated. So let's give her the benefit of a doubt here and say that this is a smart decision on her part. Now let's assume that uh, there's another employee on the location and he's 80. He's got some COPD. Um, he's, he's black, so he comes from a community at high risk, a number of risk factors, serious risk factors. And then let's throw in a kicker that this black 80-year-old is a very famous, revered actor, without which the whole picture is in the toilet. And this, this actor says, well, I'm not going to risk my life for this film. So I want everybody on the set to be vaccinated so that I know that I have maximum protection. Who, whose rights do you think are going to be honored <laughs> on that set? So, you know, you can't just say everybody's got a right. You, you have to look at competing rights here and make decisions. Um, the EEOC, you, you cannot you, an employer has the right to require vaccination. Uh, now, some states have passed laws saying you can't, but you do technically have, as an employer, the right to say, you know, you need to be vaccinated to do this job. Um, once you're hired, then if, you, if they find you're not vaccinated, then you need to accommodate them, maybe by having them work at home. But if bringing a non-vaccinated person onto a work site, knowing that the rest of your workers are going to go home uh, is, is, is not an option. So, but uh, there are different rules in different states and uh, uh, it's quite different in New York than it is in Florida, but even then it changes, it seems to change week by week. It does. And so does the mind of the people at the CDC. Um, you know, I think it was only a day between Fauci saying you should all wear your masks and no masks aren't necessary if you're vaccinated. I don't think that was more than 24 hours apart. So, I mean, it, it, how, it, it's really it's really confusing for everybody. I, I don't care what level of professional in the health services you are or what you do on the outside as an ordinary person. It's just plain confusing. And, and every state is different. Every city is different. Every area is, has their own set of statistics and different risks. It's, it's, it's not an easy set of choices. Perhaps even more concerning to parents is the question of whether to send their kids back to in-person schools in the fall. Um, we're almost at the end of this school year. 
Do we know what percentage of New York City students have been going to school in person and how many have been doing remote learning? Yeah, I don't happen to know, but I know it's rather small, actually, uh, in, in the total picture. But they, the decision to say they've got to go back, in my estimation, is absolutely wrong. Um, that that does to me smack of, of of hurting people's rights. There can be a number of reasons why uh, a parent would want to keep their child at home, and some of them quite valid. Um, and I, I I object to the the implication that the CDC has made that there's no study saying that this is a problem. Well. I use three of them in one of my PowerPoints. And one of the most recent um, is, is quite interesting because it um, was a massive online uh, survey of people all over the United States. And um, what they did is they tracked down outcomes uh, of respondents that had uh, a child attending school in person and then they looked at um, risks and, and, and people in the family and, and, uh, um, that had COVID and so on. And they, they definitely showed significant risk. I think the way they put it, um, let's see, I'll find the wording. Data from a massive online survey in the United States indicates an increased risk of COVID-19 related outcomes among respondents living with a child attending school in person. Uh, it's quite an interesting study. It's all, you know, well done. There's graphs. Um, eh, I, I, you know, it is going to be a risk. It's just plain. It just plain is. Um, how big a risk? And is it worth it? Well, that that's no, no. It's now you can argue, but the fact, but 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 saying that there is no additional risk is just not doesn't doesn't square with the data. As I understand it, something like 60% of children are still on remote learning. And just watching the, the TV news, you get the feeling that uh, half the parents out there want their kids to go back to school for obvious reasons. They need to free up their own lives. And the other half are really worried about what will happen if their kids go back to school full time. Yeah. And um as somebody who has fallen in love with Zoom, um, I'm not sure that I wouldn't really prefer to have gone to school online. Now, of course, that was not an option 100 years ago when I went to school. Hmm. But nonetheless, I, th there are some real advantages to, um, to online uh, schooling. Um, and, and learning how to use the internet uh, is, is part and parcel of every day. It's, um, I'm not sure it's just absolutely better to have a teacher standing in front of you for all people. I mean, maybe for most, I think you could say that's good. And some people need to be socialized and understand how to function in public. And they got a number of other things that you learn in school besides read and write and arithmetic. Uh, but and that's again not everyone should do this. I, I think I think online learning is is much under underappreciated, and I have a feeling 
that learning at your own pace and doing it on the internet might actually be better for some individuals. We are inviting your calls. Our number here is 212-209-2877. If you want to speak to Monona, or you can email a question to me at leonardlopate at wbai.org. Right now, children over 12 can get the Pfizer COVID vaccine. Are there any plans to lower the age limit further before the school year begins? Oh, yeah. Are they going to take it down? They, are they, they, um, last time Fauci talked about it, he said they're going to be um, uh, 12 to 9 next and then 9 to 6 and then 6 to 2. But he didn't go younger than that. So um, uh, we'd have to look it up, see what, they, what their actual plans are. But, I mean, they, they'll probably get everybody um, vaccinated before too long. And it probably will be routine something that is added to our regular uh, vaccinations. And and remember, there's a number of vaccinations that are required for students anyway. So this would just be another one added to it. Have uh, any of the the current vaccines been tested on children younger than 12? Do you know? I'm guessing yes. Hmm. Because they'd have to test before they they could do that. So my guess is yes. Uh, and I'm assuming that there's somebody out there working on developing uh, a vaccine that's specifically for children. I don't remember what happened with polio. Did I get the same vaccine as adults did when when uh, yes, I got it when, as a school child? Yes, you did. It started out. Remember, they they used to have those little cups you drink it out of. Uh huh. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, those were essentially the same. For, for adults and, and, and children. Uh, if there isn't a vaccine for them before school starts, what can parents and children do to protect their kids? Again, I've been seeing a lot of parents on TV complaining about their kids having to wear masks in class. Well, it's about the only shot you've got in a classroom. Um, and, and, you know, I object to the idea of New York City schools being opened. I I think it should be New York City schools whose buildings are (laughs) going to provide the proper amount of ventilation and and, and safety should open. And there are some that should have been closed before the pandemic and they still should remain so. Um, this This is a building by building issue here. Um, but they just say open the schools. So if your building has nothing but windows and air conditioning, um, gee, I, I wouldn't put anybody in there. Uh, Some of those buildings are really old. Oh, I went to school. The, the public school I went to, I don't know if they're still using that building, but it was a converted Civil War hospital in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Yeah, no, there's a lot of really, really, really old buildings that, that are there, and they they have high ceilings, no HVAC system, some windows open. Um, they're they're really they're really pretty, pretty archaic. And and is there anything we can do to uh, to get them ready for the fall? Yeah, I'll tear them down and start over. <laughs> <laughs> because you can't, you know, putting an HVAC into a school like that is a big deal. 
Um, it can be done, but it's, it's, it's huge. So I think there's some of them that should be used for something else. <laughs> I, I really don't think they make, make good schools. And, and um, in my PowerPoint, I, I used two slides I stole from uh, the EPA's school um, ventilation um, um, seminar. And one of them shows 15-year-old studies. They have references to four of, of them from 15 years ago showing that test scores go up when you improve the ventilation. Hmm. Uh, I, I offer my, the people who come to my seminar another 12 of those because that is so well known. That is so documented. The, 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 you need a fresh air. You need a lot of outside air and good oxygen for people's brains to work right. In these old schools, they use the old ASHRAE standard that would allow you to be 700 parts per million over the outdoor air, which, by the way, we had a high yesterday in the world of 419 parts per million carbon dioxide mm. worldwide. <gasps> when I started in this business, it was 300. So, you know, anyone who thinks that global warming and carbon dioxide buildup is not happening is just not with it. Um, so, but the higher amount of carbon dioxide you have in that classroom, um, the more mental acuity lapses you seem to be able to document. So it is really incumbent on us to change the, the amount of fresh air coming into these, these schools. No wonder I was such a bad student. Um, we're taking calls at 212-209-2877. Should we take uh, some calls, Monona? Sure. BAI, you're on the air. Hi, Ryder. Thanks for having such a great guest. I haven't been vaccinated yet, and one of the things that concerns me is I keep asking people, how long will the vaccine last for? And nobody knows the answer to that. So in my limited thinking on this subject matter, I figure if they don't know how long the vaccine will last for, maybe there are a lot of other things they don't know about the vaccine. Is that mistaken thinking? Well, yeah, but it, the way we've, you see, they started testing people almost a year ago now. Um, and, and they've tested millions and there's been millions of people that have gotten it. And Let's suppose it doesn't last very long. However long it lasts, it's, it's, it's protection for that period of time. So, you know, if you, have to, you have to just balance the, the benefits and the risks. And there's so little risk that, you know, okay, so we don't know. Um, it, it's, it's not really a fatal flaw at this point. We know it works for, to some extent for at least three or four months. And sometimes we think it's gonna be for up to a year, but until we've passed a year of people being vaccinated, we can't possibly know. And uh, why not well, get in on the ground that make floor us part and get of an it now? Doesn't and, that make us part of an experiment? You, you asked, doesn't that make us part of an experiment? Do you think that, can I ask when, when uh, I took the polio vaccine, wasn't I part of an experiment? Nobody really knew what was going to happen five years from then, did they? Well, no, no, because there hadn't been five years from then, but there was no reason. You know, there's, there's certain things where you look at what it does 
and you say there's just no way that that can cause any harm. I mean, because you can't even come up with a scenario. Uh, you, if, if, if you can't come up with any kind of scenario that could possibly cause a problem um, and, and the benefits are great, it makes no sense not to be part of the experiment. We have to take a little break, but uh, we have lots of people who are calling in, and we'll take those calls right after this here on Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. Visit American City, you will find it very pretty. Just two things of which you must beware. Don't drink the water and don't breathe the air. Pollution, pollution, they got smog and sewage and mud. Turn on your tap and get hot and cold running crud. Oh, we're back with Monona Russell, our, our regular industrial hygienist. She visits our show on a regular basis. She's the president and founder of Arts, Crafts, and Theory, and the, the health and safety officer for Local 829 of IATSE, which is the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. Uh, she's the author of Pick Your Poison, How Our Mad Dash to Chemical Utopia is Making Lab Rats of Us All. It's published by Wiley. And we are taking your calls at 212-209-2877. Let's go to some of those. BAI, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, hi, you're on the air. Yeah, uh, the problem I have with the, um, the vaccine, I have people that I knew that took it, and I know medical people, and I know people that took it and had problems. And the thing what I don't like with, with the professionals is that they're talking like it's 100%, okay? And it's 100% don't, or the risk is not that much, and... And it was one case, the Canterbury case, that the guy was, it was 99% that the guy would um, come with, um, with this surgery they were going to do on his, um, his back. And it turned out to be that he was part of the 1%. And then the judge went on and said that medical people have responsibility to tell people, okay, this is not 100%. Okay, you have to tell people this is not 100%. Yeah, the risk may be low or whatever, but you might be part of that risk that you might take it and something happens to you because you don't want to tell people that. And, and the people that have people die, which I know somebody that is, is not walking now, they are angry. Okay? Yeah, well, I have, I have never seen anything that was more transparent than the tests on this virus. There were 25 anaphylaxis cases you know, when, when they were looking at the, uh, the, the uh, Johnson & Johnson, for example, and um, all of them survived. I mean, that, so if, if you take and there was hundreds of thousands of, of, of test subjects. So this is, you know, the, the risk is small. They rec they literally document every case of any kind of problem. Um, my husband and I each got the um, the the Moderna. And of course, I had the second day, man, I was I had a fever. I had all this stuff, which is good. My it's, it's clear my immune system is fighting. He had no effects, whatever. 
Um, and I'll tell you this, I would have traded for real getting that shot earlier and not having COVID because clearly by the time I was getting my shot, I already had what looks like neurological damage from COVID. Uh, <laughs> so we know that getting COVID carries risks, all kinds of risks. We don't know about those either. And we're starting to find out more and more and more. Um, so I think, again, when you look at what we know and what we don't know, and you balance, you put that, all of that information in two piles. One pile says getting COVID, and the other pile says getting the vaccine, you're gonna find a much smaller pile over there on the vaccine side. So it just doesn't make sense not to try to protect yourself from this known hazard that is also got a lot of unknown results associated with it, long-term haulers and all the rest, which, of which I may be one. Uh, it's very convincing, but I suspect that our caller is not convinced. And quickly, oh, I, before I go I, to another I call. I, yeah, I didn't think he would be. <laughs> but we have more people listening to us than him. The, the reason I'm not convinced is because they're not back in this, um, the pharmaceuticals have immunity. So if you back, if you're saying this works and everything, why you don't back it 100%? And if it doesn't work, why don't you say, okay, well, I'll go to jail? That's why I don't, that's why I don't trust it. Okay. Thank you so much for your call. Uh, you made your point. And let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes, you're there. Yes, hi. <clears throat> um, I'd like to first start off my comment by mentioning a picture that I saw outside the men's bathroom on the first floor in the, National, in the Museum of Natural History. <clears throat> and it stated a picture showing the New York City handrails in the subways. And the comment was, scientists routinely swab the handrails and find that 60 to 70 percent of the microbes they find under the microscope have yet to be categorized by scientists. Yes. So if that's the case, <clears throat> here we are with the respiratory virus, then why aren't they really stressing the importance of building up the immune system, especially for those people of color who are less able to process the UVB radiation, ultraviolet light, into vitamin D from the sun. <clears throat> Thank you. Okay. Yeah, Anona? but stop and think. They've got all of these microbes that are unidentified, but we don't have huge numbers of unidentified and strange diseases occurring. So our immune systems are at least functioning pretty well. We also found out, especially in the polio research, that kids are protected by playing with the dirt. <laughs> they, they, they have to have some kind of exercise for their immune systems when they're young. Uh, and we certainly in New York, you, you just take a subway ride. If that's not going to be exercise enough for your immune system, then I don't know what is. Um, and yes, building up your immune system by eating the right stuff and doing the right things, that's all very nice. But many people can have a pretty strong immune system without any of that. Um, so we, what, what is really going to be interesting is seeing more about some of those uh, unknown microbes because there's a lot of possibility there for research. Whenever you have these unknown uh, microbes, they, they have properties that we should be looking at uh, for a number of scientific reasons. 
But our immune systems are all different. For example, some people have had bad reactions from uh, being given the vaccine. And others, like me, I, I just um, got in the train and went back home. Uh, so uh, I guess our, to some degree, it depends on the immune system we bring to all of this, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, I want to get to more calls, but I wanted to cover another subject in uh, with you first. In one of your recent newsletters, you have an article on new kinds of masks being marketed with chemicals added to kill viruses. What kinds of chemicals are there that oh, they're there's using? There's tons of things that'll kill viruses. They just don't belong next to your respiratory system. <laughs> yeah, they, um, the graphene masks, uh, the, the uh, Canadian Health Department was the first one to alert to those because some of the graphene goes into your lungs. Graphene is a, a complex, um, well, it looks like a bunch of benzene rings all stuck together. If you, if you, and it's a flat thing. Um, and if you rolled it up uh, into a tube, it would be a nanotube. That's what nanotubes are made of. Nanotubes are quite toxic and may be partially due to their shape, but it also may have something to do with the graphene. But since it kills um, bugs, they were putting it in masks. You talk about not knowing much. You don't want to be inhaling graphene that can kill a bug and maybe can kill a, a lung cell as well. So, so we're saving, so we're protecting ourselves in one way and killing ourselves in another. Yeah, and and the, and the ones that put copper nanoparticles and silver nanoparticles, those are very toxic, and um, and 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 the silver, it, it can cause a very interesting disease. It just doesn't make sense to do this, and and when you look at how long the the virus can live on copper or silver surfaces, it, it it's the difference between four hours and and and, and a couple of weeks. But, you know, even if it's four hours, it, that's not going to help you in a mask. And, and you, so th those ideas were just so bogus right from the start. The main thing is you want something that is going to filter out some of those particles, both that you are expelling or that others are expelling at you. Um, and and, and that's, that's the purpose. Okay, let's take some more calls. BAI, you're on the air. Hello, you're on the air. Can you hear me? Sometimes people are, oh, sometimes they're a little confused because there is a slight delay, but um, listen to the radio and then <laughs> go to your phone. Okay, uh, BAI, you're on the air. Okay, well, when we're trying to set up another call. Uh, while we're setting up the call, the other issue around COVID is that while we in this country have enough vaccines to cover our population, the rest of the world doesn't. Uh, are there other vaccines that haven't been approved in this country yet that are being used in other parts of the world? Oh, yeah. There's there's the, the Russian one and there's several. Uh, th they're calling the Russian one Sputnik. <laughs> <laughs> the, it, it, it's, it's going to also be... Um, an ethical dis discussion of, of extreme importance uh, after this is all done. I mean, you know, we really want to get to the 70%, 70% and we'd like to get everybody vaccinated and all that. But um, 
The rest of the world is going to see that as the rich country protecting itself or putting on its mask first while the other countries can't breathe. Uh, you know, it, it's I don't have any answers here. I'll tell you that. I, I, I don't know exactly what we should be doing, but ideally we should be probably giving these other countries the technology so that they can get busy manufacturing right on the premises for themselves and, and, and catch up. Because even if we gave India all of our surplus, it would barely scratch the surface of their problem. You got it. Okay, let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Uh, yes, hello. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, hear you fine. Uh, yes, this is uh, Gold from New York. Um, uh, I understand with a lot of the uh, objections to the vaccine, the um, messenger RNA uh, method that's being used with the two leading vaccines, Moderna and Pfizer, uh, has not really been tested as a mass vaccine. And many of the people that are concerned, and unfortunately, uh, much of that concern is censored from the Internet, so there's no fair discussion uh, coming down. But most of those concerns are about the fact that the messenger RNA causes your own cells to create pathogen particles, uh, mainly the spike protein. And, um, uh, and, and then the, the immune system supposedly will go after the coronavirus because it sees the spike protein as, as part of it and is already labeled an enemy. Uh, so are, you the, the, are, the, uh, are you talking about the ACE2 receptor? Well, the, the spike, uh, uh, the ACE2 yeah. receptor, I think, is, the, uh, is like the lock on the cell, and the spike is the key to the lock so that the virus can open the door and uh, get into your cell and replicate and, and so on. Now, the, the, the problem is this, that if your cell is generating pathogenic uh, 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 protein particles, then the immune system is attracted to that as the enemy. Uh, there's, there's, there is many serious concerns that it sets people up for uh, uh, autoimmune conditions that can develop over a period even of years. And no vaccine has ever been uh, mass uh, produced with this mRNA uh, effect. And uh, uh, so there's no real experience with it except in limited number of cases where they're trying to change the internals of cells to combat cancer or, I believe, uh, uh, certain other immune conditions, such as multiple sclerosis. So uh, I want to also say that, that, that it's now being increasingly uh, discussed that, this, that, that the virus itself came out of a lab. Of course, it's being blamed on China, and, uh, and there's evidence that there was collaboration between the U.S., and China, as Fauci called it, in working with bats, which makes it seem that this was a, uh, a man-made vaccine, and the pandemic itself uh, may be not only a disease, but also part of an agenda. And if it is, the vaccines, uh, I think there's some suspicion justified that 
you know, if you have people like Bill Gates authoritatively saying that this vaccine can help reduce overpopulation, that there's a real concern about the, the um, uh, uh, about what that agenda is, uh, and the um, and the vaccine being part of the same agenda as developing the uh, uh, the increased function of the um, or, or ga- uh, gain of function of the virus itself, which have no other purpose but infecting people. And well, wait, wait, wait. Just, could I stop you for a second? Because right now the the jury is still out on whether uh, it came from bats or whether it came from the lab. Uh, and I guess uh, you believe what you want to believe, depending on your politics or your other your attitude about vaccinations and, and other matters. But uh, can, can we pretty much uh, accept the fact that nobody knows as of yet where it comes from? They also uh, it's unlikely that when we get the injection that they're not also sticking other stuff in us to monitor our lives and, and things like that. We're hearing all sorts of interesting stuff here. Fauci and uh, is either a hero or a villain, depending on your politics and on, on your view of, of vaccines. So um, I, I don't think we're going to resolve that debate right now on this show. But Minona, you want to weigh in on it for a moment? Am I, am oh. I saying the right thing? Yeah, it would be very difficult because these people bring in all of the different things. You'd have to literally build a PowerPoint to answer that question because you've got to explain the spike proteins and uh, you've got to explain the ACE2 um, um, receptors and you have to explain why it's RNA instead of DNA that they use and what the RNA triggers in a person. And uh, there's a... You know, it, 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 it could be done, but it's it's difficult. So people end up um, believing a lot of this. Uh, as for the purpose of cutting down the population, that, 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 that's off the wall. But it, it, <laughs> the, the idea that it came from a lab, that, that is possible, but it, it came from a bat first. And, and what, what they're talking about is it escaped from the lab because of bad lab practices. Another problem we have in this country, big time. Um, so uh, that, that's a, a possibility. But the fact that it, if you look at the structure of that, you're, you, you can be pretty sure that that, would, that was natural in origin um, and may have been being studied in Wuhan. And then that, that's a, a legitimate thing to try to find out if, they, if it escaped from there or whether it came directly in the Wuhan wet market. Um, thank, thank you so much, Paul. My guest is Monona Russell, and this is Leonard Lopez at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. Should we take another call, Monona? For sure. Okay, WBAI, you're on the air. Mr. Lopate, how are you? I'm okay. I'm, luckily, I don't have COVID-19, so I'm very happy. <laughs> Actually, I've been lucky so far. I've been very fortunate not to have gotten sick with the virus. Um, honestly, last, the last thing I had was, um, was a cold, and that was in January of 2020. Uh-huh. Yeah, my immune system is pretty good. I mean, I listen to Gary Nell. I try to take heed to what he says. You know, I went vegan for about almost two years now. I do a lot of juicing. Oh, I, I was I always been in shape. I was never obese. You know, so that's the key to having a good immune system. One thing I'm worried about, though, um, I'm worried about 
a third uptick in New York City cases, man. If you go to all those parks now, and right now we have a heat wave, everyone is like hanging out with no mask. You know the West Side Highway, that bike path? Yep. Well, I, well, I, I, um, I rode my scooter there um, about three times last week, man. And I can imagine how it was this past weekend because it was hot. I didn't go anywhere this weekend. Well, but, along these lines, pick, what's that? Can I add something uh, to what you're saying? Um, Britain has had real success with uh, dealing with COVID, but now it's uh, seeing a rise in cases caused by the highly infectious virus variant known as Delta. So we, we're now at Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta. It's, uh, it was first detected in India. So uh, Britain has... Uh, wondered whether it well britain reopened and that also may have played a role in its rise in in cases so isn't that a reminder that progress against the pandemic even extreme progress doesn't always equal ultimate victory yeah yeah Yeah, because you see every single one of the variants is more infective than the one that came before why well it wouldn't be the new variant if it wasn't more infective than the one before because it outcompetes what what the other one was doing. So this is going to be an escalating thing. Um, and, and so the, the later the, the, um, the, the new one was developed, probably the more infective it is. So we are going to have trouble like that again. And what does that mean? Well, there's a couple of ways that could be more infective. And, and usually it means that it takes less viral particles to cause the disease. That's one of the ways. There's some others too. But that means that he's perfectly right, that outdoors wasn't much of a problem for some of these other bugs. But it may be for some of these new ones that it doesn't take very much to to infect you. See, because outside you've got such good ventilation that you really dilute the particles rather quickly. Um, But if, if it's far more infective then outdoors may not be as much of a protection as it was prime before. And Mr. Lopez. Yeah, Cole, we have just about one minute to go. So can you make it quick? Yeah, yeah I was just saying, man, like, you know, and everyone, everyone's, everyone's having like all these outdoor picnics mm. and stuff, man. You know, the West Side Highway, like around 125th, they have that, that grassy area, man. And no one, everyone seems to have forgot about COVID. And, they, you know, these people, they don't, they don't, you know, they're uneducated. They don't know nothing about variants and stuff, you know. So that's, that's the reason why people, like, pretty much people are fed up, man. They don't want to be locked in again. But know? the guidelines on, on masking from the CDC have been confusing. If you're vaccinated, uh, you can, you're not sure whether you can go without a mask and when you should put one on, whether you should uh, wear them indoors if you don't know whether other people uh, may not have been vaccinated or what to do outdoors uh, in a crowd or on public transportation. So it's, uh, it's still very confusing. And I suspect you're confused as well, Colin, no? Oh, I guess he hung up. Uh, Monona, as always, a pleasure. (laughs) I wish we could have resolved all the problems of the world during this hour. Yeah. Well, you know, some of these were pretty interesting questions, actually. So I I think we got a lot of it covered. But the the bottom line is you're going to have to make your own 
decisions here. And it doesn't mean there's no risk. Uh, and, and you might want to continue your precautions uh, for a longer than they tell you uh, just to be on the safe side. And what would you recommend to somebody who, uh, a loved one, wear the mask all the time or wear it? Uh, yeah, just, go- just think about, just think about who you're going to go see and, and are they vaccinated and uh, are they not? And, and if you're going to go to the store, maybe wearing a mask is not a bad idea because you don't know who you're going to be. And you don't even know who went down that aisle right before you, you know, so, well, so, so, you know, just the common sense of protecting yourself when you can, um, because you, 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 you believe me, having been there. You do not want this bug. Thank you so much for being on our show, and I'm glad that you have recovered. Winona Russell, uh, we'll see you again in about a month or so. Great. Let's hope. Let's hope situation is improved. Uh, well, that brings us to the end of our show. Special thanks to Barbara Kahn for preparing today's segment. If you'd like to hear more of our unique one-hour interviews, you can access our archive of over 500 shows at WBAI.org. We're also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else that podcasts are available. And there are links to all of our past shows on our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com. If you'd like to write to me, my email address is LeonardLopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off today, I need to take just a minute to ask you to support the station. If you care about Leonard Lopez at large and all of the other great programs on WBAI, we need your help to keep this whole thing going. So please step up right now and make a contribution at whatever level you're comfortable with by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. Do it right now to keep the kind of unique, in-depth content we bring you on the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. And one great way to support the station throughout the year is by becoming a sustaining member, what we call a BAI buddy. But however you donate, please be sure to make that tax-deductible contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. And a big thanks to everyone who is helping to keep us on the air with their generosity. And we hope that you'll join us tomorrow. Uh, when Walden Bellow, a professor of sociology at the SUNY, at SUNY Binghamton and a former member of the Philippine House of, of Representatives, will discuss his recent article, Fascism's Global Spread is as Real as the Pandemics. I don't think you're going to want to miss it. <laughs>